Hello, welcome to this week's Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. We will try our very best to keep things light, but I don't think we're going to succeed particularly well. We certainly cannot avoid VAR this week. The chance at Carrow Road from both fans at some points where we want our football back. It's not football anymore. And a more explicit one, which I'm not going to repeat. Unfortunately, although it didn't have a huge bearing on the game, although yeah, I suppose that's reasonably debatable, but it's finished Norwich City 1, Sheffield United 2 at Carrow Road. It leaves the Canaries 19th in the Premier League table. I am Dave Freezer, back from a week off with a Back down to earth with a, with a bump, <laughs> although I did miss Southampton as well, which I should probably be slightly thankful for. But as ever, I am joined by our group football editor, Paddy Dabbit, and our Canaries corresponding colleague, Connor Southwell. Oh, that's a bit of a mouthful, <laughs> but I got through it. And uh, yeah, just uh, just to kick off with, boys, um, sort of your snap reaction to the, to the overall of it before we get into into the nitty gritty. Um, a, a real negative day, sadly, isn't it, Pad? Yeah, dispiriting that second half because it followed the first half where you thought, oh yeah, I can see what they're doing here. I like the look of Rancic and Buendia. Got the goal in front, could have maybe added one or two more and you thought, yeah, this is positive. Sheffield United don't quite look at the races. You know, they've had a day less to prepare. They played on the Thursday, Norwich played on the Wednesday. Game on. And then second half, clearly Wilder, uh, Mr Wilder has uh, ripped ripped into those Sheffield players where they got the response they wanted and within three second half minutes very early on Norwich find themselves behind and uh, from there on it was just a tale of woe um, we'll get into it obviously the, the VAR elements to the second half but I think fundamentally and Daniel Farker was quite proactive in his post-match dissection Norwich made their own rod that the, the errors for the goals were clearly of their own making and um, and in a wider context now you're talking about the table and how many points adrift they are the brittleness and the lack of self-confidence um, young players looking out of their depth more experienced players not really showing that leadership uh, it's been a very bad week on the back of Southampton no two ways about it yeah, I missed that one, uh, thankfully, as you guys lived through that pain. But so these two on the back of each other, that it just it's just such a huge opportunity miss, isn't it? On the back of winning at Everton and drawing with Arsenal when they pro- probably should have won or, or at least possibly could have won, to the, lose these two, it, it, it's difficult for fans to not be extremely concerned now. I think that's the last four games really epitomised Norwich City season so far in in terms of the two performances uh, against teams that perhaps you wouldn't associate being uh, in the round that bottom six and and teams that supporters will be sort of marking as as games that they should win and yeah the the disappointing fact from today is just how frustrating it was because they were the victims of their own downfall and it's happening repeatedly now and repetitively rather over, over a period and for me, the debate keeps coming back to, is it a lack of confidence or, or is it a lack of quality? And increasingly, I'm thinking it's, it's probably a bit of both. Um, and, I mean, you've, you've got there today two, two sides, one of which has, has adapted to life in the Premier League uh, pretty seamlessly, seem to be kicking on now and are capable of, of sort of shifting through the gears in Premier League games. And, and you've got a side who seem fairly one-dimensional and unable to adapt within games and manage periods. And when you compare the two um, I, I think it, you end up with, with the conclusions that one is, is going to be absolutely fine and have its head above water and, and sadly that's not, not Norwich City and 
I think considering what people saw last season and the high hopes they had for this season, that's that's quite disappointing. But it feels a little bit like today was the day that Carroll Road lost its belief a little bit and, and that when Sheffield United did get that second goal, it felt like everything in the stadium left, essentially, any sort of spirit, any sort of character left. And um, that's really disheartening, I think, because this was a group who provided so many good moments last year and um, they seem incapable of playing against teams that press them and, and Sheffield United didn't do anything revolutionary you know, to, to up their performance it was simply uh, press better reduce the space they gave to the operators and um, and just show a bit more willingness and uh, fundamentally that's where Norwich City have got beat today Yeah, I think I'd agree with that that it did feel like a day when the, some of the hope drifted away um, we all thought at half time that Sheffield United would come out much better and Wilder certainly did his job he got his boys fired up and it worked so just to go back uh, to the start of things um, Daniel Farker did make three changes uh, Emmy Buendia Mario Vrancic came in uh, for Todd Campwell Tom Tribal and Alex Tetty came in for Abraham, Ibrahim Amadou as we were kind of expecting on the back of the Sheffield United game and let's start with a positive at the very least uh, as things sat at half time it was uh, you know we were checking on when Alex Tetty's last goal was which was <laughs> Preston in August last year that um, sort of late thumping strike which a little bit similar to this one but this one 27th minute puts Norwich in the lead a left footed low strike I mean Alex Tetty doesn't score many, but they tend to be good when he does, don't they? Don't they? They do indeed. That end of the ground, if I recall as well. Once to, was it the Teddy Topo? We did, decided that wasn't his, in the Premier League. I think that was his last. Goal. Uh, the last in the Premier League was against Southampton in January 2016, which, uh, as Connor well remembered, was when Vadis Ojeda Afo um, came yeah. to the. Um, but the Sunderland goal that you, I think, you're thinking. No, of, no, the, no, Man the, United goal, the Topo. That was about a month or two before, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that one. Now you're referring to in front of the Barclay yeah, over Christmas, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another season where because they went to Stoke then very early in January, Gary O'Neill got sent off, and the wheels, <laughs> the wheels firmly came off that. Premier League campaign we might have got that to that point a little bit too soon um, on the evidence of today but uh, on the back but yeah if you want a crumb of comfort on the back of what was a very nice assist with Timu Puki at Southampton from Alex as well he's just showing even you can teach an old dog new tricks maybe because there's a <laughs> there's a bit a bit, bit of creativity to his urgings in the last two games but um, sadly Norwich need far more than that but uh, yeah he wasn't the worst um, not sure what it says about Amadou though that and he was effectively left the central midfield uh, experiment to about a game and a half, so um, doesn't bode well for that man. Albeit Tete, we know his injury record probably with a congested period. We're on the cusp of it now through Christmas. Uh, we probably will be seeing Ibrahim Amadou again. Um, but yeah, no, all in all, it was uh, just a very, very uh, well. Essentially, game of two halves. Daniel referred to that the other day when he was talking about Southampton, and I think you could probably say it was in reverse, but sadly, it was all of Norwich's own making, wasn't it? Absolutely. There was a little bit of VAR, I mean, obviously, because all goals are checked by VAR, so um, they were checking that Tetty and Zimmerman hadn't fouled the Sheffield United defenders in the lead up to the goal, but that was cleared, wasn't it? The goal was, was fine. Um, there wasn't that, wasn't that eventful the first half, really, was it? Just before that, McGoldrick had sort of fluffed a, a really good chance for them, which Krull was able to hold. Uh, Vrancic and McLean kept Dean Henderson busy in, in the first half, but there weren't loads of goal-scoring chances. It was um, definitely one that sort of kicked into to gear in the second half. But while, while we're on the midfield subject, Mario Vrancic, what did you make of his, certainly his first half? I mean, 90 minutes was always going to be a big ask of him, 
wasn't it? But do you think there was enough there to persist with him? Yeah, for me, absolutely. I, I felt he, he dictated the tempo of, of Norwich's play and from what we saw at Southampton, they, they really lacked any, any sort of tempo and he certainly in, injected a bit of pace in, into their passages of play, which was nice to see, and also some purpose as well. And um, it, was, it was nice to see him stretch the play a little bit as well with a few balls in behind, which worked quite nicely, I, I felt, in the first half. Um, fizzled out of it slightly, but uh, yeah, con- considering what you said there in terms of his, his first 90 minutes, that, that was... That was quite impressive. I, I, I felt, or not ninety minutes, rather, because he got he got replaced late on, didn't he? But certainly in terms of his first start, um, and, and yeah, there's there's plenty to like uh, with with Rancic, and, and again, it comes back to that that first half in terms of that pairing seemed to work very well because of the space they were allowed to play in, and I, th- I think for me the the frustrating fact is uh, almost that they they thought they were going to have the same space in, at the beginning of the second half, and it was a fairly laboured ap- approach to it, and, and probably quite naive again, and, and we. We throw that word in there again, but in in terms of Rancic, uh, I felt there were there were positive signs and probably more more so from him than than negative, and and that's that's perhaps a, a small positive we can hold on to. But yeah, I think I persist with him going forward. Although Leicester, I, I may be looking to be a bit more pragmatic given given what I saw this afternoon. Yeah, Leicester are doing very well, aren't they? Winning four one at Villa today, and uh, Emi Buendia similarly. Pad he comes in um, again, good in the first half, but almost um, a non-entity after the break. Well, with with the exception that I've seen him back on the highlights, that was his slip pass to Cantwell for the Henderson yeah, chance. So you know he did create something there, but yeah, like like Vrancic, like all those midfielders, like the team in general, second half completely raised the white flag, um, but. I did think in the first half, um, not only with the ball, which we know he's capable of, some lovely switches of play, but I thought he actually didn't neglect his defensive duties. There was a couple of times he was down in the old right-back slot, filling in for Aaron's as well, and I don't think we'd have seen that too often before the international break. So if a period of reflection on the sidelines has, has had the desired effect, then again, we're looking to clutch on any straw going, and uh, because they essentially, if they're going to do anything, they need him in the side because he is probably one of the, if not the best, one of the better creative options they've got. Um, but he's obviously got edges of his game that need to be knocked off, and uh, there was evidence that maybe that penny had dropped. But yeah, it's very hard when you're on the back foot as a team, as as they were in the second half, for, for him to come on to the ball and and dictate as he was doing in the first half. So. Much like the rest of the team, really, yeah, he didn't show us enough in the second half. But um, yeah, it, I, when I saw the team news drop, I thought that was very harsh on Cantwell. But put that to Daniel after the game, and and he made the point that he thought it was the type of game with Sheffield United having played a day later that they would tire maybe in that final quarter, and then you could in, introduce Todd, um, and and he could profit from some tired bodies, and and obviously, you know, but for a brilliant save from Dean Henderson, that might have paid off, but it wasn't to be. Yeah, in the end, uh, but. Hernandez was completely crowded out all game, wasn't he? I did the player watch uh, on him, so do check that out at pinkin.com. Um, but a fairly forgettable day for now, really. I mean, he just always seemed to have Bulldog and Basham in his way. And uh, unlike Buendia, who has the intelligence to drop deep and, and link with someone like Avrancic and play passes, Hernandez is a bit one-dimensional, isn't he? And he it's all about his pace and beating men. And when that wasn't happening for him, he got frustrated. But I don't think we can put it off anymore, the goals. Let's uh, let's get stuck in. First one comes, 49th minute. Ender Stevens climbs high above Max Ahrens to head in a George Boulder cross. But 
for me, the most damning thing of this was that it all started from Norwich having a free kick on the halfway line, which they made a mess of, went backwards. Uh, eventually, Tim Krull plays Ben Godfrey into a slightly difficult situation in terms of he's being closed down by that point. He just lumps it forward. Hernandez loses the ball because he's got Chris Basham breathing down his neck. Godfrey probably played the wrong option there and from there on in they're just scrambling and they've gone from being in a position where they could potentially have been putting the ball into Sheffield United's box to conceding a goal it was not a enjoyable moment for those players in the slightest was it? No and what, what you've described there is is exactly why Norwich City are where they are at the moment because they keep putting themselves in those situations as, as you quite rightly say they had an opportunity to try and work the ball forward relieve some pressure off themselves in, in those situations and then you can take a risk in the final third because losing possession there is a lot less costly than, than losing it in your own defensive third for sure and they keep working themselves in situations and, and it comes back to why they were so good at Everton because they almost um, cut out for playing from the back out of their game and, and um, took the pressure off, off their defensive options I suppose and when you do that particularly when you've got a team who do come out of the blocks um, from the second half and uh, do display a willingness to press you and, and suffocate the space available to you in that area then you are going to force yourself into long balls which isn't the City's game they haven't got the the operators to compete physically particularly with Sheffield United and the stature and the physique of, of some of their particularly defensive options but also midfield as well and this is where, again, we're talking about Norwich being the victims of their own downfall because, like you said there, there's there's one of two options there and they've picked the one that, that is more risky. And there is an element of risk in the way Norwich play and, look, they they bypass that press well and go up the other end and score and, and we, we're all praising them for, for their bravery. So that's the nature of it. But it, it's just it's mistakes and it's similar mistakes to the ones uh, that they've made previously and they keep happening. And it is, as we said... and. Uh, and as we said before, that almost soft underbelly that they're displaying and, and that, um, that, that that wasn't even a competition at the back post. I'm, I'm not sure how you describe it, but mismatch, I suppose, at the back post physically between Stevens and, and Aaron's is pretty much sums, sums it up, really, doesn't it? it? It feels like a young side who are a little bit out of their depth, unfortunately, um, both in terms of how they tactically play the game and, and, and how they physically um, assert themselves on it as well. So... It's quite damning, but it, it, there were so many mistakes, as, as you described in, in, in that first goal, and it wasn't too dissimilar with the second, I didn't think. It, it was of their own making, and they've, at some point they've got to look at themselves in the mirror and, and puff their chests out and, and take some responsibility a little bit, and um, it just feels all too easy to play against them at the moment, and, and that's my problem with it. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Finally saw this overlapping centre-back sensation that everyone keeps talking about with Sheffield United, like it's... um, you know, something that's never happened before in football. But, I mean, they do it well, don't they? And it's clearly a, a tactic. We saw them um, use it to their advantage quite a lot throughout the game. But, yeah, I think Max lost his way a bit after that goal. He, he knew that he um, he was going to get a, a telling off, shall we say, for, for his part in it. And then, equally, Mario Vrancic and Tim Krull for the second. Vrancic misses his opportunity to clear, and then Krull probably should do better with a shot pad. Yeah, I haven't seen it in real time. And then, subsequently... 
knowing as we do the lad, he will he will know himself. It's always gone through his arms, his two arms. Did bounce up in front of him, and it, obviously a lot of rain certainly in the first half. So factor maybe, but you know, a keeper as good as he's been for Norwich this season would have ex- would be expected to save that, and uh, it just sort of sim- symptomatic of um, complete scrambled mindset after the, after the interval and and totally induced by the ferocity of Sheffield United's play and um, written about it since uh, the final whistle the, the the manner that these teams at Cairo, Villa, Manchester United uh, to name it but two they just put their foot on the accelerator and Norwich literally hanging on for, for grim death and, and eventually falling the wrong side of it um, it wasn't a pummeling of that variety today but they they just don't appear to be able to go with these teams when they move through the gears and uh, and that is sadly probably going to be why they end up in, back in the championship. Well, it's difficult as you sit here today to think anything else, isn't it? Because that's the way things are going. They're nineteenth, um, thankfully still only four points adrift, I think, aren't they? So um, because Southampton and and Villa both lost, so a, a very small crumb of comfort. But yeah, it, it felt to me like they were just rabbits in the headlights at that point. They they were just in their own heads thinking we've shot ourselves in the foot again and they just really struggled to get themselves going and funnily enough that the VAR controversies almost gave them a little bit of a foothold in the game so let's go for it from the goals to the VAR out of the frying pan into the fire 55 minutes and we have a lengthy VAR stop it is Onel Hernandez barges into the back of Chris Basham as it looks in real time although Having seen the replay, I think it's more Basham steps across Hernandez. Then Norwich sort of frees, and Lundstrom tucks the ball into the bottom corner with Norwich seemingly have stopped play, uh, waiting for what the referee is going to do. Um, and, but then it's about two minutes of waiting. Uh, finally, the goal is ruled out uh, for offside. We can quite quickly see it's ruled out for offside, can't we? But then it's like then everyone's thinking. So is is that then a penalty? Mm. Because that was just before the um, that. But of course, everyone in the in the ground in the stands doesn't know that they can't see the replays in the same way we can. They know there's a VAR check going on, but obviously they are getting furious in the stands. And the Sheffield United fans are all riled up already from what happened to them on Thursday night when they conceded against Newcastle. Because similarly, their place had frozen when an offside flag had gone up, and John Joe Shelby just waltzes through, scores, and then VAR gives the goal. So. From that, that's when it all really starts to boil over, doesn't it? And when you've got both sets of fans, you know, roaring their anger against the video assistant referee, that shows that there are massive, massive issues, not just at Norwich City or Carroll Road or at Bramall Lane, but throughout the Premier League this year. And well, Connor, where do we go with it from here? <laughs> well, first and foremost, I think I'd extend it beyond the Premier League. I think there's the same problems in the Bundesliga and in Italy as well. I don't, I don't think their supporters are getting on with it too much better. The World Cup was all right, though, wasn't it? I don't, the World Cup didn't seem to have it quite as much... It wasn't rolled out to this tiers of event within a game, was it? It was a much more streamlined process, I felt, anyway. I guess so, yeah, like the offsides and things. I don't remember mm. the offsides being a huge issue at the World Cup. But anyway, I digress. Well, this this might surprise you both, but I'm, in, in this in this instance, the one you talk about, I'm going to stand up for it a little bit because uh, I think that's... No, pro- sorry, come again. that. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's the most complex ruling I've, I've seen it be, be given uh, in, in terms of the different elements, in terms of the penalty appeal, and then the offside as well. I, I felt that was always going to take a little bit of time to 
sort them out with the first phase and the second phase and whatnot. And to be fair to it, ultimately it reached the right decision on, on both occasions. But then on the flip side of that, you've, you've got the element that you discussed in terms of the, the fans in the stadium sitting on their seats for, what, two and a half, three minutes, however long the delay was. And, and this was quite lengthy. Um, not knowing what is being checked, for what reason, was it offside, was it the penalty appeal? Because I, th I think if you're a punter watching that initially, you just think it's the penalty appeal. Um, because certainly for, from my part, I think when you watch it, you're, you're unaware of, of the offside and, and all of the focus goes on that. So I, I can understand why this one took so long, um, but fundamentally it comes back to communication and you know, what, what can we say that, that we haven't said before? It's, um, it's, it's simply not good enough. And uh, there was, a, of course, the, the big meeting in the week uh, where the ruling was that, the, the, or the advice given, it wasn't a ruling, but uh, the advice was that the, they wanted to see more communication between the, the fans and, and VAR in, in the stadium because, of course, the luxury is if you're sitting at home watching it on the TV, you, you get to watch the 15 replays slowed down and the lines drawn on the pitch, but in the ground you don't get that. And, uh, yeah, I, I can understand the frustrations because... Uh, when you don't have a replay, particularly if you're in the Barkland and you can't see the big screen, um, there's so much to be angry about. And, and in a game that really doesn't have too many lengthy stoppages, we're, we're, introdu we're seemingly introducing them for, um, for VAR and, and that's not really going to be received well. So for me, it, it boils down to, and again, I've said it before and I'll probably say it again, it, it, it just feels like it needs to be stripped back and focused on... I don't know, maybe even one area at a time to, to get it absolutely right and, and fully functioning because uh, the way it is at the moment is is going to turn fans away and um, that seemed pretty evident today, I, f I thought, from both sets who, who joined in with those chants. Yeah, that does feel like that's a danger now, that it's going to turn people off football. I mean, if I'm a Watford fan sat at home watching this on TV, I know it wasn't on TV, but if in theory I was able to, you're sat there loving the drama, aren't you? The same as we all were when Ronaldo thought he was going to get sent off at the World Cup and he's looking at the camera like, uh-oh, I've been caught out here. As a neutral, it's great, isn't it? It just adds that little bit of drama to, to what is already a, a dramatic game. But for the people in the stadium, it just feels like it's not fair. And yeah, I agree with you that they need to rock, just roll it back a little bit somehow and just maybe yeah phasing it in but I just can't see them doing that now they've, they've, they've gone in two footed yeah, almost right. haven't they yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's difficult to roll it back um, but I mean we're not going to reinvent VAR sat in this room right now there's there's a lot of tough decisions ahead and we're going to talk about it we have talked about it but after basically every game haven't we and we've seen things go against Norwich wrongly like the Manchester United game what I'm waiting for which is really going to be the turning point I think nationally is at some point someone something's going to happen at one end of the pitch like a penalty or something like that they're going to go down the other end and before the VAR check has finished because it's taking too long someone's going to score a goal mm -hmm. and then that goal is going to get ruled out and then they're going to go back for a penalty at the other end and then all hell is going to break loose well, I, I refer back to, to an incident in the Bundesliga last year where there was a, a decision just before half-time. The referee blows his whistle for half-time. Both the teams go off the pitch and then the referee gets them back on the pitch to retake a penalty. The penalty is scored oh, yeah, and both yeah. teams go back off the pitch. So, yeah, I, I think we are going to have a situation like that and it's going to be really interesting to see how they approach it and how they respond to it if, if it does happen, I think. Yeah, I'd like there to be a time limit, but I'm not sure how practical that is. Like when we're sat there and we, like I said, we had the advantage of seeing replays, it was like, well, if it's taken this long and it's not clear and obvious, just get on with it. The referee on the pitch would almost say, no, this is taking too long, I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. Because that that is what has happened in real time, but they're not, the, the VAR don't seem to be treating games like the referee does in terms of having to manage the atmosphere in the game uh, because they do that as a big part of what a referee does pad let me bring you in but 
with part two of the VAR drama. Um, I'm waving my arms all over the place here because I'm getting fired up. <laughs> um, red card, overturned. Chris Basham charges into Kenny McLean and is shown straight red card by Stuart Hooper. Uh, Simon Hooper, sorry. Stuart Hooper was a rugby player. Uh, Simon Hooper <laughs> uh, is about to go off the pitch and um, then Chris Wilder says, hang on, Varchette's going on, overturned, and he comes back onto the pitch and it's just a yellow card. At that point, <laughs> meltdown ensues. Yeah, I mean, the one we've discussed at length, ultimately Connor was right, convoluted, poor communication as always with his, the application of VAR, but essentially the right decision was reached. For me, I, I just this is this is the apex, this is at the top of the VAR list for me this season, particularly involving Norwich. I just do not see how Simon Hooper has made a clear and obvious error in producing a red car for Basham. He's out of control. He's got none of the ball. Um, there's clearly force involved in that challenge. Unless the laws of the game have changed and I'm unaware of it, or the guidance to officials has changed, and it isn't about clear and obvious. I just. I did not, not. I don't even see the debate. I, I'm quite happy to, uh, you know, see alternative views on on these incidents when it is quite contentious. But that is absolutely nailed on, and, and the referee's decision is a red card. So effectively, these characters at Stockley Park have said, "Simon Hooper, you've made an absolute rick there. That's clearly and obviously the wrong decision." I don't think you can say that. I really can't. And for me. It did have a material impact on the game, and as Daniel Farker said, you know, setting aside quite clearly the self-inflicted element of today's defeat, Norwich would have played twenty plus minutes against ten men, and and who knows how that would have panned out. But you would have thought that might tilt the odds in Norwich's favour of getting something from the game. So he's had a massive bearing on the game, and ultimately for me, something's got lost here with the rollout of VAR because it was supposed to assist the officials, yeah. namely the man in the middle yeah, on the pitch. Bar. Now. The it's, refer- isn't it's it? not being refereed by the man on the pitch. It's being refereed by characters, however many miles away, looking at TV screens, taking an eternity. Why was that how we envisaged VAR would, would assist and improve the product? Once it starts, decisions of that nature start to be taken away from the pitch, hundreds of miles away from the pitch in some cases. For me, it's lost. It's lost its way, and it and it needs a needs major rethinks, major major rethink. Because, as I say today, that decision was wrong in my opinion, and I don't I, I don't see what they have seen to overturn Simon Hooper's decision. It's worth noting as well. That's that's the first red card we've seen overturned um, in in the Premier League this season, and. Again, it, fundamentally, it comes down to what my clear and obvious is, and what someone else's clear and yeah, obvious is. And absolutely. So we're not we're reaching a different decision, and and as you, as you rightly said there, we, we've got a, the key word is assistant in, in VAR, and, and what we've got really is a video referee. We've, we've got someone who, without the referee seeing that back, by the way, so so he does he's taking the advice of someone sat in a room 120 miles away or whatever it is, and he hasn't seen the decision back. So. Yeah, it's um, it's not it's not a great one that one. I, I think it, it it did get it wrong, and as uh, as Paddy said, it, it did have a bearing on the game. And uh, who knows what would have happened had Basham have walked as as he should have done. Um, but but for me, there's there's no complaints from the players. There's no massive complaints from the Sheffield United bench or supporters. And I always think when you see something like that and there's no appeals, that, that it's pretty it's pretty stonewall and it's it's pretty decisive. But there you go. I think as as Chris Wilder said, we're watching a different game now, aren't we? So yeah, yeah. it's one of those. 
Yeah, if that big boot with the studs up catches Kenny McLean's knee flush, which it didn't in the tackle, he that would have it wouldn't have even been a debate. But that's not that shouldn't matter. It was the intent. It, he could have that was a dangerous tackle, and I can see how it's maybe a debatable red card. But as you just said, Pad, that wasn't the idea of VAR. Like to, it has to be clear and obvious. And you know, we, they talked about the. Um, Sort of what's the what's the benchmark of where they're going to set these things, and that just just seems to move all the time, and fans are just getting frustrated with it, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think for me that benchmark that they've set themselves, they've almost killed it because of that, because everyone is, is keeps referring to those those three words, aren't they? Clear and obvious, because. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all subjective because, as as I said, what my clear and obvious is is completely different to to what a, a referee's is. And again, it's it's come comes back to the fact that we have no communication. It's it's a screen and it's pretty much computer says no, isn't it? Um, element to it, and and that's what is turning supporters off. And uh, there's obviously a, a few tweets that we've all seen tonight in terms of supporters saying that they hope Norwich City go back to the Championship so they don't have to deal with this every week. And I think when you've got when you've got people and, and supporters saying that, that's completely defeating the object of what it was supposed to supposed to be and what it was supposed to how it was supposed to impact the game. And as as Paddy said, is it improving the product? For me, not significantly enough to to warrant its inclusion. That is worrying because then if you go down with that mindset, oh great, no VAR, real football in air quotes, then do you want to go back to the Premier League? You're back in the Championship. Do you actually want promotion? Mm-hmm. That's then a real dilemma to um, to wrestle with but we'll see uh, there was one last uh, element um, which was that Todd Cantwell um, shot which was really well saved by Dean Henderson to be fair um, Buendia gets it into Cantwell and good connection from Todd Henderson gets down to his left you know he scores that who knows maybe one of those famous comebacks happened but it didn't and really injury time although with six minutes of it it never really felt like Norwich were going to do much Shrebeni was chucked on into the mix but that didn't make any difference in, in the slightest so um, overall a, a 2-1 defeat uh, just to have a quick look at the other results as I say Villa lost 4-1 at home to Leicester Southampton lost 2-1 at Newcastle and Brighton to Wolves 2 which followed on on Saturday from Everton getting themselves going Duncan Ferguson in interim charge wow we're Norwich lucky that they weren't there yesterday instead of two weeks ago because Ferguson did everything you'd expect of a club legend taking interim charge he just whipped that place into a frenzy and Chelsea were kind of overwhelmed to watch that one live and I think that's all pretty much the ones that affect Norwich. Oh, well, Watford drew nil-nil with Crystal Palace. That's the one that I did want to come on to, actually. Just to, I'll say that in a second. But in terms of the table, that leaves Watford bottom with nine points. Norwich two points better off in 19th. And then they are four adrift of Southampton and Villa. So Nigel Pearson comes in at Watford. They start with a nil-nil draw, though he wasn't actually in proper charge, was he? Because Hayden Mullins is still caretaker. Surprised by that one, Paddy? Do you see that... I mean, it's got the potential, I suppose, because he did lead Leicester on a great escape, didn't he, the year before their uh, their title win. But he's also quite a, an antagon- antagonistic character, isn't he? By all accounts, yeah. There's some uh, frosty exchanges with media, so... Yeah, I don't think Pat Murphy's his biggest fan. Is he not? <laughs> but he was the ostrich, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, was he? Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't realise that. Yeah, so, I don't know. I mean, where's he been in the interim, you know? Um, Belgium. Yeah, <laughs> second division of Belgium. I, I find that a very, very strange, and clearly it's 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 to me looking at it from the outside solely on what he did, as you referenced there rightly, the great escape, and it was a great escape that time, but, and possibly you could argue laid the preconditions for Ranieri to come in and do what he did, but uh, 
I think that that could easily go the other way. And um, if he comes in with the sergeant major act, then are those players going to respond to that? I'm not sure what Delafeo will make of that, but uh, that or Andre Gray. Well, exactly. That might that might be his his media persona. He might be a different character entirely. But as I say, where has he been in recent times? Massive gamble. It is a massive gamble, and not one that overly worries me from a Norwich point of view. But we talk about Leicester, and of course that is where we go next Saturday for the reunion with a certain former player of the season who was fairly handy, wasn't he? And sold for a club record fee of, I think we officially, we went, we've always gone with £21 million as the fee, haven't we? And could rise to £25 million based on uh, add-on fees and things like that, although that's obviously a sort of a fluid situation when it comes to sell-on clauses and all that sort of stuff. But they are having a fantastic season, aren't they, Connor? How much, given they beat Southampton 9-0, I dread <laughs> to say that, but how, how much sort of fear does this one fill you with do you have a can you could you see any way that Norwich should do it they just got to go and park the bus I'm thinking of taking a blindfold if that's uh, <laughs> it might be a better viewing um, make a good match report yeah, <laughs> which, yeah uh, just to just to get myself away from from the horror show that awaits um, <laughs> I I don't see a situation where Norwich leave the king power three points in and or even a point if in, uh, on the evidence of what I've seen at Southampton and subsequently today, um, uh, I feel like there's there's only one way that result's going to go on current form with uh, with James Vardy. I think he, today was his uh, fifth game in a row that he scored. Eighth and eighth. eighth. There you go. Eighth goal. Uh, eighth game in, in a row. Um, Madison as well. Uh, you can throw in the mix. Uh, they they look superb this season. Really good side under Brendan Rodgers and. They're on second place. They're second place in, on merit as well. I think they've been the second best team in the division um, in terms of how they played, and it's not going to be easy. Um, yeah, parking the bus may, may be a stretch too far. I mean, Daniel Farquhar always says he doesn't have the players to do that, but I think it would be a huge level of naivety if Norwich went there and tried to play the way that that they have done. Um, today uh, in, in terms of trying to assert themselves so I think it's going to be another counter-attacking base performance but yeah I'm, I'm not quite sure how successful they're going to be with that given the quality Leicester possess. I just wonder whether Hanley will be fit to come back into a, to a back three or, or whether there's going to have to be a back three as far as I'm concerned to start that game what is the one thing Jamie Vardy wants is to run in behind defenders that is the that is his bread and butter once he's got a run on you you're in trouble and when you've got the players of the quality of Madison Barnes Tielemans what a player he is and then Chilwell and Pereira on the, on the, uh, the fullback positions as well they're going to get the ball to him unless you crowd him out and frankly go old school if you have to give him you know get handy on there get him get him to give him a kick you know it's it's gonna for me in the situation Norwich in today they're gonna have to treat this like that Manchester City game and just act like they're an FA Cup team in League One going to one of the big boys and you've just got to do everything you can to frustrate them and then tr- the only way you're gonna get something is nick something at a set piece or something like that it's not what they want to do but they are a promoted team from the championship. Leicester were champions in 2016, and they are the only team getting close to an absolutely brilliant Liverpool. I just can you hold out any hope, Pat? Not really, no. But the only other element to inject in there is complacency, and that's okay. That is showing Norwich a lack of respect. But to see Norwich, you can't keep a clean sheet for love nor money. Um, Bar obviously Everton and uh, Bournemouth, but uh, <laughs> apart from those two, recently certainly on the evidence of today, then uh, yeah, and Southampton definitely not. But uh, 
and they just take them for granted and just think oh lads yeah well, we've done the hard yards here this is a uh, three points all day long we'll just uh, go out there and go through the motions and that'll be enough and we'll we'll keep our powder dry for the festive games maybe and in that scenario then if they're not quite at it then Norwich get a foothold and then you get a type of a Man City sort of developing game where they do have something to cling on to and hopefully maybe you know get your noses in front by hook or by crook and then then there's a bit of anxiety around the place and Leicester's players maybe start to snatch at things and they're not as smooth as because hey this is Norwich we should have rolled these over what on earth's going on but having said all that for the last two minutes I don't see that scenario playing out so um no, I think uh, you you reference nine nil. I think if we start from a, a base that uh, they don't get whacked by that many goals, and that's probably that's probably the good starting point to go with. Albeit their goal difference is pretty horrendous as it is. So, what's another nine goals? <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll throw a little bit of optimism in there. They only managed to beat Southampton two one recently, didn't they? With that uh, last minute VAR goal, so maybe that's uh, that's some positivity as well. Right. Uh, I'll be putting my money on Madison anytime. Um, <laughs> after that, though, Wolves at home, Villa away on Boxing Day, Spurs at home, and then Palace at home on New Year's Day before the wonderful trip to Preston for the FA Cup third round, which we're all so pleased about, and so is Alex Neal. But I'm not going to talk about that now because I'm already depressed enough. Uh, what might break up the week a little bit for you is that there is FA Youth Cup action at Carrow Road on Tuesday night, and we can look to the future. Myself and Connor will be going there on Tuesday night, and Connor's going to be uh, doing a pre-match presser on Monday as well to sort of preview that. And there's a big carrot on the end of the stick for Norwich and Newcastle at Road on Tuesday night because the winner could play Manchester United in the fourth round at home. They play Lincoln in their third round game, which I don't think is until next Friday, so you, you won't, we won't know for certain. But um, a home tie against Manchester United in the fourth round, of course, would be uh, very high profile and, and a big opportunity to, to potentially get a, a good crowd into Carrow Road for, for that game. So um, always interesting to get another look at the, the under-18s coming through and, and the fresh talent who will one day hope to be getting involved in the first team so do follow that with us at pinkin.com on Tuesday night and ahead of the game we will wrap the show there I think you've probably had uh, just about your fill um, as ever if you're not already a subscriber then please do subscribe to the show we try to get one out uh, once a week after uh, the weekend game and any reviews and uh, ratings are always very much appreciated as well thank you very much for listening we will catch up with you later in the week